This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Sigurd Torsen stood in a crowd, shivering in his tunic. They had gathered to watch a rare religious ceremony, a ritual that hadn't been performed in this village in generations. Only the gravest circumstances required it. What was happening now, across Scandinavia, was definitely one of those situations. Sigurd looked into the sky He didn't even have to squint. The sun's light was tepid through the dust clouds that hung in the sky. For a while, red and yellow rain had fallen, flooding the countryside. Then droughts followed. After that, hard frosts and chilly winds blew across the farmland, decimating any withered stalks that had managed to grow from the dry ground. It was the first week of August, No one in the village, including even the oldest grandfathers, could remember such a cold summer. It had even snowed once in July. The cause was obvious. Odin had decided to punish them by extinguishing the sun. That's why they had gathered here for this ceremony. Anyone who could spare something valuable had offered it to the pile. Jewelry, silver arm rings, gold medallions, even a few jewel-encrusted weapons. Once it was collected and prayed over, the priests would take it to a ceremonial spot in the forest and bury it. It was their final hope for appeasing Odin's wrath. If the god was pleased, he might finally reignite the sun. Welcome to Natural Disasters, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm Tim. Every Monday, we'll explore the moments in history when the natural world turned deadly. You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
to stream Natural Disasters for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Natural Disasters in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. On today's one-part episode, we're exploring the Dust Veil event of 535 to 536 CE. This was a mysterious weather phenomenon that wreaked havoc across the globe. The event would have been terrifying to those who lived through it. The sun seemed to dim as though during an eclipse, but without letting up. Unusual weather patterns raged across the land, followed by famine, disease, mass migrations, and social upheavals. It ultimately led to the period historians now call the Middle Ages. Modern knowledge of the Dust Veil comes from a variety of contemporary sources written after the catastrophe. One of the most detailed accounts was from a Byzantine historian named Procopius, who followed Emperor Justinian's army on its conquests. In his narrative of Justinian's war in Italy from 535 to 554, Procopius wrote, And it came about during this year that a most dread portent took place. For the sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon, during this whole year. And it seemed exceedingly like the sun in eclipse, for the beams it shed were not clear. And from the time when this thing happened, men were free neither from war, nor pestilence, nor any other thing leading to death." Another historian, Michael the Syrian, wrote, The sun became dark, and its darkness lasted for 18 months. Each day it shone for about four hours, and still this light was only a feeble shadow. In Italy, an official named Cassiodorus described the sun as dim with a blue tint. He said, We marvel to see no shadows of our bodies at noon to feel the mighty vigor of the sun's heat wasted into feebleness. Other sources describe unusual weather patterns, droughts, floods, massive crop failures, and famine. One account states, we have had a spring without mildness and a summer without heat. The months which should have been maturing the crops have been chilled by north winds and rain is denied. In China, Famine and drought conditions were so bad that in some provinces, as many as 80% of the people starved to death. Survivors were reportedly forced to eat the dead. And it wasn't just cold weather. Accounts from the early part of 537 state that a massive dust storm blanketed the Chinese city of Nanjing. One chronicle stated, yellow dust rained down like snow. It could be scooped up in handfuls. In the year following this drought, the region was inundated with floods so extreme that frogs were living in trees. Reports from places as far-flung as the Middle East, Britain, Japan, and Mexico tell of plagues that decimated their already starving populations. People feared that the end of the world was here. 
John of Ephesus wrote, Everyone declared that the sun would never recover its full light again. Outside of these written accounts, evidence of the event appears in the geological record as well. One of the most important clues comes from dendrochronology, the study of tree rings. Tree rings are a useful dating technique for historians and archaeologists because trees grow in a predictable pattern, laying down a new ring each year. By cutting through a tree and simply counting the rings, its age can be calculated with a high degree of accuracy. This is useful for studying ancient climates because the weather in a given year will determine the width of the ring. In a favorable year, rings will be wide, but if the weather is less favorable, ring growth will be much smaller. When trees show consistently narrow rings for consecutive years, it's evidence of significant climatic disruption. This is especially true when trees across a wide geographic region show the same effect. Tree ring experts have used cross-comparisons of thousands of pieces of wood, both new and ancient, to create chronologies of geographical areas going back thousands of years. This allows them to study the data and look for patterns. Studies show that from 535 to 550 CE, tree ring growth across the world was generally very narrow. As historian and archaeologist David Keyes writes in his book, Catastrophe, that period contains many of the narrowest tree ring sequences known for the past 2,000 years. In Sweden, for instance, analysis of pine trees shows that the summer of 536 CE was the second coldest summer in that part of Sweden for the last 1,500 years. Similar results are found in California's Sierra Nevada mountains. The years 535, 536, and 541 were three of the four coldest years in that region in the past two millennia. In South America, temperatures steadily dropped from the year 535 and reached a low point in 540. The same thing happened in Russia, Germany, Poland, and the British Isles. And the ecological effects were just the beginning. In Scandinavia, there was a widespread famine. As much as 90% of the population was lost to starvation. The survivors migrated in search of a better climate, leaving entire villages and towns deserted. The number of formal burials decreased by more than 90%. For ancient Swedes, these formal burials were a way of showing respect to the dead and ensuring a proper afterlife. But with the world in crisis, the valuables that would normally be buried with the dead had to go elsewhere. Archaeological evidence shows an increase in treasure hoards being offered to the gods. Danish archaeologist Morten Axbo stated, a constantly dimmed sky and spoiled harvests would have required sacrifice of every sort, including even the most precious objects of gold available, to revive the dying sun and ward off the apparently imminent end of the world. It's probably no accident that later Viking legends would equate the end of time with climatic changes like those they'd experienced in the 6th century. In Central America, 
the gods depicted on pottery began to change in appearance, from something benevolent to something much more hideous and terrifying. The previously trustworthy gods of harvest and rain had turned on them and become something to fear. Further south, the conditions were just as bad. Studies of the lower San Jorge Basin in Colombia demonstrate that the drought conditions in the mid-6th century were the worst in the last 3,500 years. So what caused all this worldwide devastation and upheaval? The evidence indicates something along the lines of what modern scientists call nuclear winter. Aside from the unimaginable radiation of a global nuclear war, the numerous explosions would send millions of tons of dust and debris into the atmosphere. Then it would spread across the earth, cooling temperatures, causing floods and droughts, ruining farmland, and ultimately wiping out millions of people. But clearly, no nuclear weapons caused the dust veil of the mid-530s. So the question is, what did? Coming up, we'll explore the three main suspects. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Around 535 CE, an event known as the Dust Veil profoundly affected the Earth's climate. Historical accounts and scientific data indicate massive weather disruptions, a dimming of the sun, unusually cold temperatures, and devastating famine all across the world. Scientists have offered three likely explanations for what caused this catastrophe. The first is an asteroid collision. Asteroids are remnants of the formation of the solar system. They mostly come from a belt of rocks between Jupiter and Mars. As this massive field of space rocks orbits the sun, the asteroids sometimes collide, breaking off pieces and knocking them out of orbit. Occasionally, those pieces, known as meteors, enter our atmosphere. While the vast majority burn up before causing any damage, some of them make impact. 66 million years ago, an asteroid about eight miles in diameter hit the Earth, wiping out the dinosaurs and most of life on the planet. Scientists estimate that a much smaller asteroid, around two and a half miles in diameter, could have caused the climatic changes seen in the sixth century. Although they're very rare, asteroids this large do exist. Several dozen are known to have crossed the Earth's orbit. If an asteroid was approaching the Earth, any observer would see a dimly lit object in the sky as early as two days before the impact. 
According to archaeologist David Keyes, it would seem like no more than a speck of light in the sky. But about an hour before impact, it would begin to slowly grow in size, steadily growing brighter. 30 minutes before impact, the object would be the brightest star in the sky. Now only 15,000 miles away, it would even be visible in daylight. By about six minutes before impact, it would grow some 30 times brighter than Venus. Anyone watching would know that something potentially catastrophic was about to happen. As the moments passed, the rock would enter Earth's atmosphere, swelling in size and intensity. Anyone watching from 300 miles away would have to squint and cover their eyes. The brightness of the asteroid would be equal to that of the sun. Closer, around 30 miles from the point of impact, the light would be blinding, 100 times more intense than the sun and moving at 40,000 miles per hour. If the asteroid hit land, it would cause a crater many miles wide with untold devastation across tens of thousands of square miles. If an asteroid of that size had hit land in the 6th century CE, its massive crater certainly wouldn't escape notice. Yet no such crater is known to exist. Further, reports from the time indicate that the dust veil shielded the sun in some places for more than a year, Regular dust blown up from an asteroid impact wouldn't last that long in the atmosphere. But that doesn't necessarily mean an object didn't hit the Earth. After all, the asteroid could have landed in one of the bodies of water that cover 71% of our planet. Scientists have only mapped about 5% of the ocean floor. And due to the heavy deposit of sediments, underwater craters are easily obscured. A water landing would also account for the long-lasting effects on the sun and atmosphere. Upon hitting the ocean, enormous amounts of water would have been injected into the sky, eventually reaching the stratosphere and freezing into ice crystals. Those ice crystals would have remained for a long time, scattering sunlight, cooling Earth temperatures, and causing dust clouds that lasted for months. But this effect might not have been from an asteroid. It could have also been from our second suspect, a comet. While asteroids are solid space rocks containing nickel and iron, comets are mostly ice, gas, and dust. And while asteroids originate from the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, comets have their own individual orbits. Some of these orbits take hundreds of years to complete. When they get close enough to the sun, some of the frozen material begins to evaporate. These evaporated gases then spread out up to 100 million miles behind the comet, causing the tails we see as they pass by. Even though billions of comets orbit our sun, very few have ever come anywhere near the Earth. Unlike asteroids, which frequently knock each other out of orbit, that typically doesn't happen with comets. To date, only one significant comet impact with the Earth has ever been uncovered. It occurred 28 million years ago in Egypt. But Dallas Abbott at Columbia University's Lamont-Doherty Earth Observatory offered another possibility. 
She believes Halley's Comet could have been responsible for the dust veil event. This famous comet passes by Earth every 75 years, with the most recent visit occurring in 1986. Dr. Abbott points out that Halley's Comet passed Earth in 530 CE, just a few years before the dust veil began. That particular passage was recorded as being exceptionally bright. The more material a comet is shedding as it passes the sun, the brighter it can appear to observers on Earth. Dr. Abbott theorizes that in 530, a piece of Halley's Comet actually broke off and headed directly for Earth, where it impacted the ocean around 535. And there may be strong scientific support for this theory. Studies in Greenland have demonstrated high levels of tin in the ice core during the 530s. According to Dr. Abbott, this is a telltale sign of a comet impact. Whether the impact was from an asteroid or a comet, the effect on the ocean would have been awe-inspiring. According to David Keyes, a gigantic crater-shaped wave would have risen up more than 20 miles out of the ocean, scraping the stratosphere. This wave would have raced across the ocean at 1,000 miles per hour. Even 500 miles from the impact zone, the wave still would have been 200 feet high. But beneath the water, it would have stretched up to three miles deep, plowing inexorably onward through the ocean. As the wave neared land and entered shallower waters, the height above the ocean would have begun to grow again. Depending on the depth of the water, it might have reached as high as 900 feet high before plowing into land. The devastation would have been cataclysmic, destroying thousands of square miles of coastline. However, there are drawbacks to a cosmic explanation, whether asteroid or comet. The first is the infrequency of these events. As we've seen, only one comet impact has ever been uncovered on Earth. And large asteroid impacts, though far more prevalent, are still rare. Scientists estimate they only strike Earth about once every 20 million years. The second drawback is the lack of evidence for a destructive tidal wave. As David Keyes points out, a tidal wave of such proportions would have rivaled Noah's flood in any legend, would have been recorded in horrified terms by any literate societies affected. He goes on to point out that its lingering effects would surely have been discovered by now. A tidal wave of that size and power would have left traces in the geological and archaeological record. But no such evidence has ever been found. So that leads to our third theory, which is that the Dust Veil event was caused by a massive volcanic eruption. When a volcano erupts, it ejects sulfur into the stratosphere. This sulfur and its byproducts can remain in the air for months, affecting weather patterns and global temperatures. Such effects were seen after the eruption of the Indonesian volcano Krakatoa in 1883. For a year afterward, reports from all over the world described strangely colored skies and especially vivid sunsets. In fact, several researchers have suggested that an earlier eruption of Krakatoa may have caused the dust veil. The first recorded eruption of Krakatoa was in 416 CE, 
recorded in a Javanese chronicle called the Book of Kings. This eruption happened over a century before the Dust Veil, so it was traditionally thought that the two events couldn't be connected. But historians have recently begun to wonder if the dating of the Book of Kings account is wrong. No evidence of a massive eruption in 416 CE has ever been uncovered in Indonesia. Further, the only known manuscripts of the Javanese Chronicle were all written in the 19th century. It's not clear what, if any, historical documents the 19th century author used to compile the story, but they may easily have been incorrect. If the events described in the Chronicle actually occurred in 535, it would fit perfectly with the historical records of the Dust Veil event. And it would suggest Krakatoa as a strong contender for the cause of that catastrophe. There's more than just this textual evidence to support this theory. Ice core samples collected on both ends of the globe provide strong evidence as well. Like tree rings, Ice cores from the polar regions can be used to study ancient weather patterns. The snow that falls each year eventually gets compressed into dense layers of ice. Like tree rings, these layers can be counted back with a high degree of accuracy to determine what year a specific layer was deposited. The ice itself can give clues about the climate during that year. In 1978, an international team drilled out more than a mile's worth of cores from the ice cap over southern Greenland. Twelve years later, they took more cores from farther north. In both samples, two major volcanic eruptions were detected due to high levels of sulfuric acid in the ice. Tying the tree ring evidence together with the ice core samples and adding to it the historical accounts, it seems probable that a massive volcanic eruption was the cause of the climate disaster in the 6th century. That this volcano was Krakatoa is less certain, but since the event is recorded in both Arctic and Antarctic ice cores, the eruption must have occurred in the tropical zone near the equator. Any further north or south, and the eruption wouldn't have had a measurable effect on both the poles. Of the two ice cores, the Antarctic showed a longer period of sulfur contamination. This implies a volcano in the southern tropics, like Krakatoa. But the effects of this volcanic eruption didn't just end after a few years. The worldwide devastation from the Dust Veil changed the entire social order of human civilization. Coming up, we'll explore the long-term aftermath of the Dust Veil event. Now back to the story. Scientists have theorized that the Dust Veil event of the 6th century CE was caused by either an asteroid, a comet, or a volcano. The strongest evidence supports a massive volcanic eruption, possibly of Krakatoa, around 535 CE. Whatever the ultimate cause of the destruction was, its effects were long-lasting. In the short term, there was widespread flooding, drought, unseasonably cool weather, and famine. In time, 
disease spread across Africa, Asia, and Europe. Entire populations of people were wiped out or migrated to new areas. These epidemics included the first recorded pandemic of bubonic plague. The plague is a bacterial infection caused by fleas and typically spread through rodents and other small mammals. There is some evidence of ancient outbreaks of the disease, but the first documented pandemic began around 541 CE in Egypt. The 6th century historian Evagrius wrote, With some people it began in the head, made the eyes bloody and the face swollen, descended to the throat, and then removed them from humanity. Malignant pustules erupted and did away with them. It first hit the Egyptian harbor town of Pelusium along the Mediterranean Sea. It likely arrived on the backs of the rodents that often infested sailing ships. From there, it spread west to Alexandria, north to Asia Minor, and eventually across the whole of the Byzantine Empire. In Constantinople, as many as 50% of the inhabitants were killed. John of Ephesus, who also wrote about the dimming of the sun a few years earlier, described plague victims lying in the streets. Their bellies were swollen and their mouths wide open, throwing up pus like torrents, their eyes inflamed, and their hands stretched out upward. This first pandemic came to be known as the Plague of Justinian, named for the Byzantine emperor of the time. It subsided after about a year, but the sickness would return off and on for the next 200 years. By the end of the sixth century, there were several more outbreaks, uprooting entire towns and agricultural regions. Constantinople continued to decline under the middle of the seventh century, ultimately losing up to 75% of its pre-Dust Veil population. This weakened the Byzantine Empire, making it prone to invasion, and other cultures took notice. Beginning in the late 550s, a group of people called the Avars began arriving on the Byzantine borders. Like so many other people, the Avars had felt the Dust Veil's deadly effects. Persistent drought had forced them from their ancestral lands in Mongolia, and they were willing to go to great lengths to find a new home. Within 20 years, the Avars had conquered large portions of the Byzantine Empire, including Greece and much of the Balkan Peninsula to the north. They would continue to fight off and on with the Byzantines for the next century, culminating in a siege of Constantinople in 626 CE, this invasion was the beginning of the end of the Byzantine Empire, which had grown to include lands as far west as Spain. By the first part of the 7th century, the empire had lost 70% of its former territory, allowing smaller kingdoms to grow in its place. In time, they would make up Europe as we know it today. However, it wasn't just political structures that were affected by the Dust Veil. In many places, religion was thrown into upheaval as well. We've already seen this to some degree in Scandinavia, where the people tried to appease their angry gods. Farther south, in the Arabian Peninsula, an entirely new faith was forming under the Prophet Muhammad. 
Before Muhammad was born in 570 CE, most of Arabia was polytheistic. But with the upheavals of the mid-6th century, central religious power in the region began to weaken. There was infighting amongst religious sects, and temples were abandoned as people migrated to avoid the drought and famine. Another turning point came when the Marib Dam collapsed. The dam had stood in Yemen for over a century, and it was central in supporting agriculture. Sometime during the 570s, a massive flash flood destroyed it. Its loss wrecked the local economy. Then the plague hit, further decimating the population and weakening social structures. This instability led to a political and religious vacuum that was filled by Islam. By the time of Muhammad's death in 632, Islam had more or less taken over the Arabian Peninsula. Over the following centuries, it would spread into the remnants of the Byzantine Empire, across the Middle East, and into much of Africa. Islamic Kingdom's power struggles with Christian Europe would dominate the Middle Ages. Similar upheavals occurred in Central America. At the time of the Dust Veil event, the city-state of Teotihuacan was one of the largest in the world, with more than 125,000 inhabitants. Located in modern-day Mexico, it was the most powerful city-state in the Americas. But in the 530s, widespread drought and famine struck the area. Teotihuacan was especially vulnerable because its food supply was largely agricultural rather than from livestock. Skeletal remains from the period show signs of malnutrition and disease. The population began to decline rapidly as people starved to death and succumbed to illness. The gods, many of whom had been associated with weather, rain, and fertility, began to fall out of favor. Their images began to change from paternalistic to demonic. By the 550s, this disillusionment boiled over into civil unrest. Buildings were burned, and statues of the gods were thrown down and destroyed. The political and religious elite, who were blamed for the climate disaster, were slaughtered by the dozens. After that, the city fell into ruins. A gigantic sculpture of Tlaloc, the god of agriculture and water, was left unfinished in its quarry. His abandonment is a testimony to the people's hopelessness. More chaos occurred in the British Isles, which were split between the native Celts, who controlled the western lands, and the Anglo-Saxons, who controlled the northeast. When Justinian's plague hit the Isles, it devastated the Celtic lands, which were already dealing with crop failures and famine. Their political and military power weakened. But the plague didn't reach the Anglo-Saxons, most likely because they didn't have trade routes with the Mediterranean. The vulnerability of the Celts allowed the Anglo-Saxons to expand west, eventually creating the Kingdom of England. The Celts were ultimately pinned down in the far western corner of the island, in the region we know as Wales. The result of all these upheavals was the birth of a new era of human history. It was the dawn of the Middle Ages, which would see the rise of new kingdoms and empires across the world. 
Many of the circumstances that led to the start of the Middle Ages were already in motion by the 6th century, but the catastrophic effects of the dust veil played a central role in driving the changes. We've arrived at the place we are today, at least in part, because of the natural disasters of the 6th century. The event itself demonstrates in a disturbing way just how vulnerable we are. Whether it was caused by a cosmic impact or a volcanic eruption, the dust veil's effects were disastrous for the entire planet. And we're no more prepared for such an event today than our ancestors were 15 centuries ago. We'd like to think that we're equipped to deal with a famine or a disease outbreak. But the reality is that even with all our technology and infrastructure, a volcanic eruption or asteroid impact could wipe out resources around the world and cause unimaginable suffering and death. With populations larger than ever and cities more crowded than ever, disease would spread quickly, potentially outstripping any ability to contain it. Poorer nations and regions would be hit especially hard. Ultimately, it's not a question of whether such an event will happen, but when it will happen again. And when it does, it will be an unmitigated disaster. Thanks for listening to Natural Disasters. We'll be back next Monday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easier for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Natural Disasters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Natural Disasters on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Natural Disasters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Natural Disasters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Natural Disasters was written by Scott Christmas, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Tim Johnson and Kate Leonard. Mm -hmm.